Welcome back to the Segmentist Podcast, everybody. Kaylee Fretz, it's Tuesday, September 6th. We are once again one day late this week. Uh, should we just keep it on Tuesdays now? I mean, we, we do that in the offseason anyway to give us a little more. The only more. reason that we move it to Mondays in the season or like earlier in the season is because there's like really exciting races on Sundays. Right. There's some pretty good racing happening last weekend. We've got Vuelta going on. We're going to talk all about the Vuelta. Of course, you just heard Abby Mickey. Hello. It was not my fault that it was late last week. You guys are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was. Uh, And we've got Johnny Long. How are you, Johnny? Hey, I told you Abby would be mad. Even the slightest hint that it might have been her fault. I warned you, Unbelievable. There was shouting. It was like trying to herd cats, trying to get you people onto the podcast (laughs) last week. (laughs) And James, welcome back. Hello. I just want to give everyone a fair warning here that if, if while listening to this podcast, uh, if you hear an alarm going off in seven minutes and 25 seconds, that means I have to get up and turn the temperature down on my oven because I have a bread. loaf of bread in the oven. Yep. James, on November 2nd at like 7 p.m., I would like a loaf of bread in my hands, please. <gasps> I can do that. <laughs> Abby, you you. Going, are you going back stateside? Hell yeah. That's very exciting. You're going to fly with a baby? That sounds not great. (laughs) She's a really, she, I'm not going to jinx myself. I was going to say she's a good flyer, but. We shall see. Anyway, we have quite a lot to talk about today. The Vuelta is still going. I, at the end of, at the end of last week, I was like, oh, is the Vuelta over soon? No, the Vuelta is not over soon. The Vuelta is keep going forever and ever and ever. We've got quite a bit to talk about. Some, uh. Well, some movement on the GC. Uh, Primoz Roglic, not done yet. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Plus, some from the CMAC Ladies Tour, the Tour of Britain. Uh, a big bicycle race, the Maryland Classic, came back to American soil. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And we're going to touch on what promises to be kind of a strange world championships. Uh, mostly because a lot of the big names that we would expect to go are not going in today's nerd nugget. We've got a whole bunch of Zwift news. Uh, In fact, right before we hit record today, they announced that they are going to be releasing a trainer, a direct drive trainer. So we can talk a little bit about that. And then James has some hot takes about some of their Instagram advertising. And finally, we're gonna talk about Abby's e-bike, which I don't know anything about, but it came up in the pre- recording conversation and now we need to find out all about it so because of that that atlantic atlantic article ah that atlantic that's why the one that we hate e-bikes on the mind yeah yeah well we can we can talk a little bit about that really terrible article as well uh although i don't do we want to give them the do we want to give them the press i don't i don't know (laughs) anyway we'll get to that in at the end of the show today let's kick off as we have been for the last couple weeks with La Vuelta. So, Johnny, uh, yesterday was a rest day. It's on right now. Uh, where are we in the Vuelta right now? For those who have not been watching every minute, where do we stand at this point in time? Okay, good. I thought you were asking geographically where we are, and I was like, I have no idea. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in well, Spain. Well, Sierra Nevada was on Sunday. That's so, near like there. southern Spain. Yeah, but then they had a big transfer, didn't they, I think, again. I think they had to drive. Mm. I don't know. But yeah, we the way... So where the racing is at is Remco Evenepoel is still leading the bike race by about 90, 90 seconds. He had a up and down weekend, not just on the mountains. He, on Saturday, he sort of clung on, got dropped, but then rode his own pace, fought back, limited his losses to Primoz Roglic. And then on Sunday, Enric Mas and Miguel Angel Lopez sort of buddied up, but not really, as those guys seem to never want to make friends or work together and maybe could have done more. Um, they gained some time back on Roglic and Evan Apol. Roglic looked like he was paying for that effort to try and get some time back. Um, so now it's really finely poised with a 90 second gap between Roglic and Remco heading into the final week. Remco in his press conference yesterday said that basically he needs to hang on and defend until Saturday, which is like the, the day before they get to Madrid, the second to last stage, not the band word. Um, and then there's going to be a big fight. And then it will all be over. So we're going into into the final week here. Uh, you know, we talked in the preview about this final week and the fact that 
it has some kind of sneaky stages. Uh, not that, you know, they did Sierra Nevada over the weekend. That was sort of the big one. That was the sort of the only, high, I guess, high altitude stage of the entire Vuelta. But this final week is is anything but easy and does kind of remind us of, for example, that that Tom Dumoulin, Fabio Aru battle a couple of years ago. So what stages this week, if, if you want to make sure that you catch the Remco v. Roglic battle, what stages this week do we need to make sure we tune in for? You need to tune in for Thursday stage 18 which has a category two followed by two category ones. Uh, the final one being summit up to Alto del Pional. And then stage 20, which is the the final road, well, not the final road stage, but the final sort of day for any GC action, uh, which is up to the Puerto de Neva, Nava Cerrado. I should have got Abby to pronounce these because she lives in Spain. <laughs> My Spanish <laughs> is desperate. Um, and that's got like a handful of category one climbs that come one after the other, so sort of prime for a late ambush. Although I think the more that we build up these final two days, the more we're letting ourselves into maybe be disappointed. Some people were disappointed about the Sierra Nevada stage. I thought it was quite exciting. I think people often forget how boring these GC battles can be. And maybe it's just the recency bias from the tour. But I think this whole Remco versus Roglic with like guys like Onring Mass, <laughs> like sticking their oar in, it's actually been kind of interesting. Also, it's you can't really expect like a super exciting battle on a really, really gradual climb that's like mm. 20K long. That's not, it's like yeah. the steeper, you got you to have like steep slopes at least somewhere on the climb in order for there to be any kind of like dr- drama. It's like long strung out drama if it's on such a long climb. Well, and a lot of it just comes down to how it's raced too. I mean, you know, the, the course designers can only do so much. If you don't have a... For example, Tade Pogacar figure at the end of this Tour de France, who is willing to just sort of hit out half a dozen times on the final climb of the day, then you don't get that. Uh, and I don't think that from what we've seen, we know that Primoz Roglic isn't really that that type. Uh, and Remco seems to have dialed back his aggression quite a bit. Uh, you know, he's gone at some key moments, but he's not wasting energy in the same way that we saw for example at his first giro which is he ended up pulling out of so somebody's gotten to him the ds is perhaps uh trying to convince him to oh james is your bread done okay james has to go his bread is done (laughs) (laughs) trying trying to convince remco to you know just sort of well race it like a gc figure and i think that that's really what what is required of him at this point in time part of the reason why pogaccio races the way he does is because Wow, he's just full of confidence, perhaps even overconfidence. It's I don't think that's something that we can we can sort of fully get used to in these GC battles. In general, GC battles are sort of like racing in slow motion because they're going up big mountains, not particularly fast. What was fun to see on Sunday is because you have like Quick Step who are weakened without Julian Alaphilippe there, and then Yumbo Visma really they like try and set they try they try and send guys satellite riders up ahead as Quick Step do because you don't have these big trains operating, which makes for much better racing. Um, but you, it it's really they found it quite hard to judge them. Like Astana did well, kind of, but it's like the tactics were kind of interesting to watch because it's kind of a hard thing to nail. I think I mean I've never obviously done it. It seems like a hard thing to really precisely know where everyone is on the road, maybe. I don't know, do you guys know better? Yeah, I mean, it always is. I mean, they have, obviously, they have race radios, they have all the rest. It's still hard to keep track of. Uh, And race radios, this is one of the things about, thankfully, thankfully, we do not have the race radio debate as much as we did about five, six, seven years ago, where it was constantly in the news and like Jonathan Vodders versus the UCI versus all these things, and whether race radio should be allowed in the world tour and all the rest. And there, there was a, uh, there was a, 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 a strain of argument saying that race radios were responsible for boring bike racing. Uh, and this was kind of peak sky era when in fact, sky was responsible for boring bike racing really. And the way, and the way that they just, you know, utterly controlled any race that they wanted to control. And so that, that, but that was sort of the, the spark for this, this entire debate. Thankfully, we don't have that debate anymore because one of the real issues with it w- was the fact that race radios are nowhere near as powerful as I think a lot of people think that they are. 
They don't work half the time. They're hard to hear. The little TVs in the team cars that uh, that the directors are watching are are a fair ways behind. You know, thirty seconds to a minute behind. So you can't really make real time tactical decisions based off of that. So it is it is genuinely difficult to kind of keep track of exactly where everybody is throughout the stage and then make tactical decisions based on that, which is why a lot of it does in the end come down to, you know, what the riders are feeling and what the riders want to do and, and the way that they put together their, the tactics in their own heads, because they're not just robots out there. They, they cannot be just directed to do things. In my experience, race radios are way more about safety on the road. Like the directors being able to point out that there's, a roundabout coming or something like that. Or like the riders asking each other, like who needs a bottle, but like, I've never once had a race radio that I could understand a full sentence being said. So (laughs) I hate that debate. That, that debate pisses me off. Yeah. Like I I don't think it, thankfully we don't have that debate anymore. It just sort of, it, it faded away again, kind of as sky faded away. Uh, I, I think that the two were, were were actually quite closely linked, even though we may not have realized it at the time. I think the best thing about race radios is that you get to see riders pulling their like ear, earpieces out in defiance, and I think that that's the reason <laughs> to keep them in above all else, is you get to see like Mark Soler esque uh, acts I, of defiance. Yeah, I do not want to listen to you anymore. Yeah, so good. <laughs> yes. yeah, so good. Um, the other, the like last interesting thing is that in the rest day press conference with Remco yesterday, you should have seen how powerful it was with all the Belgian journalists there. Like they were so hungry and excited, it was like quite overwhelming. And there's like guys on mid transfer in the car, like asking questions before they like lose cell reception, just speaking so unbelievably fast and asking like questions so quickly everyone gets one question but they say i'm gonna ask like two questions and and like i'm not gonna stand down it's my, great my my favorite part of my favorite part of that is when journalists and we've done this do the okay i will ask one question in two parts yeah and the part, two parts like have nothing B, to do yeah. with each other <laughs> this is question 1a yes and then question 1b we'll maybe do 1c at the at the end uh do you do you feel like do you feel like if Remco wins this Vuelta, do you feel like that's actually going to be potentially make it harder for him to come at the tour next nah. year? Because because of all this pressure. And, and this is a very specific Belgian thing, I think. Mm. Uh, or maybe, I guess, French should probably be quite similar. If, if, you had, if you had a young Frenchman win the Vuelta, the pressure ahead of the next tour for them would be out of this world. Uh, but it, it almost feels they to me like... They would never win a bike race again. <laughs> <laughs> it almost feels to me like... Uh, yeah, like like he would he would have been better if, if he's actually this good. If Remco is, is truly a GC contender, as he appears to be based on this Vuelta, it, it almost would have been better if he came into next year's tour with the question mark still over his head. Mm. Does that make sense? I think that we have to wait until the end of the race to kind of start questioning whether or not Remco would be able able to contend in a race like the Tour because he's he's shown in the past that he's not capable of, like, pulling off a three-week race. And, like, I think four week yeah six month i feel like the belt has been going on um (laughs) but um and he's been he's had some incredible performances so far but it's there's still a week to go and it's like this is when people blow up that have way more experience and way more kilometers in the legs than remco does so i mean no no hate to him but i just i'm i still i will be surprised if he wins this race at the end and I think that like speculating if he will be a GC contender in a race like the tour is, is just, it's, it's an interesting conversation, but I don't know. I just, I feel like he's not, there's still, he's got to make it to the end. You know, he says if he'd been offered like this position now at the start of the race, he'd like absolutely have taken it. And that no matter what happens, if he ends up top five or top 10, if he blows up, then it's still like, it's still a good a good step in the right direction, but I think in terms of if he if it's better to win the race, I think for him to get like five minutes peace, having like won a Grand Tour and just everyone leaves him alone for like two seconds, I think he would take <laughs> that's that not how it as works. well. It's <laughs> <laughs> not how it works. Are you kidding? No, that maybe would never like, happen. Maybe two days at the start of December, 
do you reckon he would he would get for winning the Vuelta where just no one talks to him? No Pete's Hut advertisements I doubt it. I mean, he, he's the first, he would be the first Belgian winner to win since... 77. 77, sorry. Yeah, 77. 77 was the last Belgian winner. Yep, Freddie Martins. That's yeah, been, it's been so a while. <laughs> it's been a minute. And like, when, but when was the last time a Belgian rider won any Grand Tour? Because that's still a minute yeah 78 right? the, la- the last time that a Belgian Grand Tour winner there's a Belgian Grand Tour winner Honey Nut Cheerios didn't exist or the board game what? guess who <laughs> there were two other ones but I can't remember them right now uh, Honey Nut Cheerios are like my dad's main source of fuel that's yeah, a right? seriously random fact that you just tossed in there <laughs> this is what I spend my days doing James it's uh, it's not glamorous 78 <laughs> are, you, are you a human encyclopedia of, of like Breakfast cereal trivia. No. Well, and also Ferrero Rocher and McDonald's Happy Meals because they also didn't exist. Neither of those two. Just if oh you Oh my wondering. gosh. Dane, well, I guess the the McNugget existed. So Dane is probably still okay. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, just Googled things invented in 1979. Yeah, that's how I got to that. <laughs> 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 the ring pop, simple green, uh, thinsulate, Tostitos. So no Tostitos the last what are time. They? You don't know what? Oh, man. I'm going to bring some Tostitos over to. Uh, over is it Mexican to toast? What time. is it? <laughs> it's just, they're just like crappy chips. Little toast. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Belgians had like a really good run of Grand Tour winners from like 76 to 78. And then, yeah, nothing, nothing since then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I just, I don't know. We, we've talked, we've talked endlessly about sort of the pressure on Eventipol. Um, and I was just thinking about that, watching the stages over the weekend. Like, is this, if, if the guy wants to win the Tour de France someday, and of course he does, uh, is it better just to show up again with the question mark over your head? Maybe, maybe. Uh, he's certainly shown that, you know, he's got the Watts per kilo. Right. And the big question now is, does he have the Watts per kilo deep into the third week? And we are about to find out. And that it frankly is, is the, uh, for me, the number one reason to watch the Vuelta this week is just to find out what Remco truly has, because Roglic, we know <laughs> is just fine in the third week and appears to be clawing time back. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting one. Let's shift over to the CMAC ladies tour. Abby. Give me the highlights. Yes. Um, all right. Lorena Weebus won the first two stages, as was expected. But on the third stage, she swapped with her main lead-out rider, Charlotte Cool, to lead out Cool, And Cool took the stage victory, which is interesting because of Lorena Weebus moving to SD Works next year. Cool will be DSM's main sprinter for next year. So it was kind of nice that Lorena like was able to let her try it out, go for a win. And they really dominated all three of the sprint stages. The fourth stage was won by Rihanna Marcus solo. Unfortunately, she had picked her for the overall win actually. Um, but she lost a bunch of time on the first stage, which no one knows what happened because there was no live coverage. Um, well, Matilda, (laughs) Tilda price knows what happened because she, had to figure out how to write a race report. Um, <laughs> but no one else knows what happened. Uh, the TT was actually won by uh, Audrey Cordon Rago, who's having an incredible season. It's her last year with Trek Segafredo. It's not been announced yet where she will be riding next year, but she she's really had a couple impressive results this year. And um, this was a huge win for her after winning the one day in Norway. She, she kind of won on a technicality. And so to take like a win that's purely based on strength, um, was great. And then the final stage was won by, um, the young rider on Lacole Wahoo, uh, Misha Bredewalda, I was trying to remember how to pronounce her last name. Misha Bredewalda, who's also going to SC Works. So it was a really good week for riders who will be riding for SD Works in 2023 <laughs> um, between Weavis and, and Misha. And they, SD Works themselves actually didn't have a great race. So it's watching the riders that are going to be transferring over there uh, for next season do super well is 
exciting when you think about how the teams are going to shape up for the next season. Are they in a bit of a rebuild? Is that is that an accurate? Zesty works Not in a really? rebuild. I mean, because they still have Volering and like, yeah, they have pretty much the same team that they did last year, but without Vandebregen, they've really kind of struggled to find their footing. Because I think, like we've talked about on freewheeling a bunch, that they've always had like a really, um, some really questionable tactics, but they can pull it off because Vandebregen is there to pick up the slack. And they they don't have her to do that now, so they've really suffered from from that. Basically, mm. isn't Vandenbergen in in the in the director's car for a lot of these? She is, she so. is, but her strength is why they won races before, and not her tactical skills. Mm. That's some shade. You're throwing shade over there. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not throwing shade. I love Anna Vandenbergen. I love her. <laughs> She'll she'll get the hang of it. Like first year, it's hard to like adjust to anything. Uh, but Lorena Weebus won the overall. Audrey Cordon Rago was second, and Caroline Swinkles was third. Uh, so interesting race for Yumbo Visma, who has a hard time winning things without Voss. They had a pretty pretty decent week, actually. Anything else on CMAC that we should talk about? Um, mm, so that was CMAC, and then coming up starting. Today, as you're, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, is the Saratizit Challenge by La Vuelta. So another five-day race for the women, which is, it's so interesting. The women's calendar went from us saying, oh, we need more stage races to being like, oh my gosh, there's so many stage races. <laughs> um, so the Saratizit Challenge will be really good because it's kind of the last race before Worlds. And there's a lot of riders that are coming back to racing that haven't raced since the Tour de France Femme of Ex-Wift, like Anmik Van Bluten, Cashin Iwadoma. Vollering is back after crashing out a tour of Scandinavia. So in general, the race is going to be, I think, really, really good. All right. And live coverage of that this week? I'm- yep. Live coverage every day on GCN Plus or Eurosport. Sweet. Or I, I think in the States it might be different because it's uh, ASO, but... Mm, get that VPN up and running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you'll be good to go. Uh, let's let's move to American shores. We don't really talk much about races here in the States because there aren't any anymore. Uh, unless you're racing gravel, there's really not a whole lot going on in the American road racing scene some sort of funky crit stuff and things like that. But this is this is the first kind of big one day in the U.S. in, in quite some time. 197K uh, Maryland Cycling Classic was won by none other than Sepp Van Mark, which gets him a whole pile of UCI points. Johnny, does do, do you know if it pulls him up, pulls Israel up uh, out of relegation zone? This probably alone is not enough, I would think. No, it's not enough. And on the same day, Corbin Strong won a stage at the Tour of Britain, which is ranks below the Maryland Classic in terms of points gathering. So it's still they're winning races, but it's still they're still quite far off. Um, the other interesting thing I saw about the relegation quickly is that when Miguel Angel Lopez climbed off at the Vuelta last year with like how many days left? Not many days left. He cost Movistar like 500 UCI points, which now would have moved them really out of any sort of danger. So, and if Whoops. he finished above, above any mass or anything at the Vuelta, unlikely, but if he did, they then... They didn't dislike him before, they really yeah. disliked him. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, this Maryland Classic was a good race, though. Uh, in fact, a uh, friend of the podcast, a uh, friend of Abby, Tom's had a, had a pretty good pretty good day out. Finishing yeah, fourth. Yeah, we're great friends. Yeah, you're really good friends. Uh it was, so the, I think a lot of people were actually quite disappointed in the, the way that this race was raced. Um, and like a lot of people had a lot to say about the fact that there was only like 20 riders that contested for the win. But, um, I feel like for American racing, this was a win because we like road racing in the States is dying right now. And to have world tour riders on us soil was a big deal. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, dying is all but dead, right? I mean, I feel like at some point it will get resur- resurrected, um, but there's just basically nothing going on. And, and the reason why there was such a good start list is actually just because of the proximity to the pair of races in Canada that are coming up. Uh, so basically like the, you know, it's it's a long enough flight from Europe that there needs to be an extended reason for teams to come over. 
Uh, and that is that was essentially the reason is, to, is, a, is a pair of world tour races that are going to happen in Quebec and Montreal coming up. Um, but it's you know it works right. It, it it the the start list of this race was the best sort of highest profile start list of any road race in the United States in probably since like the Colorado Classic since 2019. Yeah, since 2019 when California died. Yeah, yeah, Tor California died. Um, I mean, I've heard rumors that California is going to come back, uh, but like, I feel like those rumors have been going on since 2020. Um, yeah, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like the racing was actually not bad. It was, it wasn't predictable. So I don't know if that's what people had a hard time with, but it was, it was, a. Uh, I don't know if I was just, I thought it was a good race to watch because there was, I, my friend, my friend was doing well, but <laughs> I, I feel like the your best friend. Your BFF. My best friend. <laughs> Pretty good. I don't friend. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Taylor, Taylor would be upset. She, she's got that <laughs> title. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it's just such a, it was such an interesting event because like it, you got to see how excited people in the U S were to have racing back stateside. Um, and the fact that the racing itself was kind of weird, I think it made the event even better. So I, it'll be interesting to see if they keep doing it in the future. They've talked about adding a women's race for next year. So they're clearly keen to keep it up. I think they absolutely should. I, I think one of the, one of the kind of funny things I was just cruising through the results and I had noticed this when I was watching groups come across the line as well, is that clearly this is an, a race that was important to a lot of the Americans because some of the sort of later groups, you know, the group coming through at 13th place at 647 back and the group coming through at 22nd place at 954 back all led across the line by whoever in that group was American <laughs> because there is actually a, you know, you're racing for 22nd is kind of the only, the only person who would, would bother sprinting, but it's sort of a, it's a funny little indicator of how much this race meant to those riders, right? I'm, I'm talking about, you know, riders like Tyler Williams of, of Legion and Robin Carpenter of Human Powered Health. Like they both led their groups across the line. Noah Granigan left, led his group across the line uh, in 26th. Clearly a race that mattered to the American pros. Uh, and uh, hopefully, maybe, maybe it's the start of something uh, or racing coming back or who knows? Uh, you know, I, I know that the, the CEO of USA Cycling, Brendan Cork, was there, um, really pushing this race. Uh, I I would hope that that, like I said, this is the start of something. But frankly, as an American cycling fan, I'm I'm just not holding my breath. Uh, we've we've been burned before. Before we get to today's nerd nugget, we got sort of a couple other little bits of news, mostly related to the World Championships in Australia, and specifically. The fact that a lot of riders aren't going. Uh, Mess Peterson, who, well, actually, I was having a debate in our comment section with uh, some reader as to whether as to whether he would actually be a contender in Wollongong. Uh, I maintain that he would be. It's always it's it's a hard course for sure, uh, but the course that that Mess won on in Harrogate was also quite a, quite a difficult course and in very bad weather. Anyway, Mess Peterson, uh, after his phenomenal Vuelta with a bunch of second places and a, and a stage win, uh, is not going to be there. We also found out today or yesterday that Tom Pidcock is not going to be there. Entire nations, I'm looking at Ireland, are just not going because it's too expensive. And so it's going to be an interesting an interesting world championships. Uh, nonetheless, there are, you know, there's still a lot of really big names going. Vanderpool was, was confirmed as part of the Dutch squad recently. Um, I'm going, I'm not racing, <laughs> but we're going to, uh, this is a, it feels like a good moment. If you're going to be at the world championships in Australia, come find us. Uh, we're going to be doing live podcasts. I think on Friday night and Saturday night, at six o'clock. Uh, so shortly after both the, the races end, I know Rupert Guinness is joining us for one of them. I'm heading over. We've got a whole, obviously our, our, our Aussie crew is going to be over there. Matt Deneef and Ian Trellor and, and David Rome. Uh, we're all going to be hanging out, making a podcast and then, well, hanging out after. So if you are not already a Velo Club member, 
go sign up uh, and that will automatically put you on the email list to, well, get all the info as to, as to what we're up to. There's also going to be rides throughout the week, all sorts of fun stuff going on. So make sure you go do that ahead of worlds. And with that, I think it's time for a little nerd nugget. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. James nerd turns alert. on his microphone. <laughs> it's, been on the, it's been on the whole time. It's been on the whole time. James, we got a bunch of things to talk about. We got we got we got Zwift to talk about. We got Abby's e-bike to talk about. We've got some hot takes on on uh well Zwift's Instagram, basically. Well, that that and that and something else too. Just some, yeah. some hot takes on some tech-related posts that i've seen lately we'll get to those in a moment but first and foremost the sort of big news this morning uh the embargo lifted 50 minutes ago on the zwift trainer Uh, now normally i would throw to you but i'm the one that actually wrote the story so should i throw to myself or do you want to talk about the zwift trainer uh well i can't really talk about too much aside from me just sort of browsing the article that you wrote but it does sound really interesting because i mean just a couple of of Highlights, it's only $500 US. It's a direct drive trainer, which means it replaces your rear wheel. So you get a lot of the benefits of like you know, a better feel and better power meter accuracy and stuff like that. Power, power meter accuracy isn't as good as uh, some higher end trainers out there. It's claimed to be plus or minus 2.5%, which for most people should be totally fine. Um, comes with a cassette. They're offering anything, anything from 8 to 12 speed pre-installed. You just have to specify which one you want. Um, and you know, they're saying, they're saying, of course, that it connects super easily to Zwift and they're trying to make it, they're trying to lower the barrier to people using Zwift with their bike. Yeah. That was the big thing. That was the big takeaway for me was just the fact that, um, well, that (laughs) there there were a couple things. One, Zwift claims that 80% of trainers sold across the entire market are purchased with the intention of using Zwift. So if you look at it from that perspective, it, it fully makes sense for them to make a trainer. And to sort of like control the whole process, right? They also know that essentially the Zwift user is a newer and newer cyclist, basically. Like the average power, for example, that has uh, of a ride on Zwift has dropped over the last couple of years as it goes from a tool used by sort of only more hardcore kind of riders who've been at it for a while to folks who are maybe just getting into it and are producing a little bit less power. So things like that indicate that they know where their market is. And I wrote this in the story this morning and the, and their market is essentially folks who are not as hardcore, uh, newer riders. I, I think, I think like the Peloton they, user, for they, example, they've always made it very clear from the get go that their goal is to dominate the, world of riding indoors in the mainstream market, not necessarily among hardcore enthusiasts. They want to be, they basically want to be as ubiquitous as like treadmills, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And so they've done a couple things, interesting things to kind of help that along. You mentioned a couple of them, like the trainer includes a cassette. Seems very basic. I don't believe, I can't think of another trainer that does that. Um, Uh, I mean, you can, uh, you can buy packages for sure, but uh, like sort of like straight, like automatically comes with the cassette. There's no way to buy it without. I, I can't think of another trainer that that does that. Uh, um, I can't remember if Wahoo's um, cheapest kicker does. Um, but mm. re- regardless of if anyone else does it, the fact that they're able to do that at four ninety nine or five hundred dollars, whatever US, is pretty impressive. I mean, it, it, I'm assuming the, the cassette's okay. I mean, it doesn't have to shift amazingly well. I mean, you're riding indoors, really. Um, but if it shifts even just okay, then that's a great thing to include. Yeah, and just simple things like that make it a lot easier for folks who who don't perhaps understand <laughs> uh the difference between a 12-speed SRAM cassette and a 12-speed Shimano cassette, for example. Uh that that was one of the things that you know, I was I was in the sort of like the media presentation for this thing. And they kept kind of reiterating stuff like that. Like the, your average user, I'm looking at Johnny right now. Uh, <laughs> your average user is like, how, okay, I've, 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 I've signed up for Zwift. I have this trainer. How do I actually get my bike on it? Right. For, for those of us who have worked in bike shops and all the rest, this stuff is second nature, but it's actually quite a complicated bit of research that you would have to do to just get this damn thing set up. And so Zwift has essentially attempted to, to remove some of those barriers. 
count the number of cogs on your bike. That's the number of cogs you need on this trainer. They, they, they sell it with a little card. And actually, there are other brands that do this as well. This little card, you stick in your rear dropouts. And essentially, however far it goes in, it'll tell you what what through axle size or what adapters you need to get your bike onto the trainer. So just simple little stuff like that. And again, with the price uh, being what it is for 99 us, $500 us, uh, clearly the, the objective here is to, yeah, just lower barriers of entry. And uh, the price I think is actually particularly interesting. And I, and I Zwift took great pains during this presentation to, reiterate that they value their relationships with the rest of the industry, that they value their relationships with Wahoo and Saris and all the rest. Uh, I am sure that Wahoo and Saris are not stoked <laughs> about this particular right. because, development. Because I, I think I think anyone listening to this and for all of us, that statement can be translated as, yes, we know all of our industry partners are probably very unhappy with us, but we are the 800 pound gorilla in the room and you can't do anything about it. So <laughs> yes. take it pretty much, pretty much. I, I mean, and they have the advantage of, and I, I kind of, I hinted at this in the story. They have the, they have the advantage of being able to sell this trainer at like probably close to their own cost, right? Like they're not making a whole lot of money on these actual trainers, particularly if you include the fact that they're, they're, they're dropping a cassette in for free. Uh, but it doesn't matter because their actual business is the sub- the subscription, right? Is Zwift. So you pay them once for the trainer. That is, you know, that can be, almost be a loss leader there. But you then also pay them every single month, and that is their actual business. And so th- they they have this sort of competitive advantage over the Wahoos of the world. Uh, again, I, I can't imagine that the rest of the trainer companies are particularly happy about this. But from a consumer perspective, if it means a halfway decent trainer at a way lower price, then that's hard to complain about. I think the halfway decent trainer part is the is the big question in our minds. And luckily, Ronan is getting one. He was supposed to get one before the launch, but it never I, showed I, up. And so- No, but I, I, I love what you called him in the article, by the way, chief going nowhere fast. <laughs> yes, our chief going nowhere fast reporter. Uh, he does go nowhere exceptionally quickly. Uh, he is going to be testing one whenever it shows up. And we'll find out whether it's an actual- an actual good trainer, which is sort of the big, the big final question. But, but again, like how good does it actually need to be to fulfill the role that it's trying to, f- to fulfill, right? Probably like it doesn't need fine. to be, it doesn't need to be amazing. It needs to be pretty good and yeah. really easy to use for 500 bucks. Yep, exactly. Johnny, did you have something? Yeah, I was just going to say that I saw that article pop up and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't see trainers that cheap. I'd never spend that much on like one of the, the proper ones, the expensive ones, but I listened to your conversation there. It's like, this is all aimed at people like me. They would never spend that money <laughs> on that. Would be like, I'm not, you know, I don't ride enough outside to to invest all that money in a, a proper trainer. So Swift have maybe they've got me finally. <laughs> I can I can I can bring the average power down even further. <laughs> no, Johnny, Johnny, you got to train for your for your next campaign up Alpe d'Huez. It's true. Yeah, I'm going to try and hit 10 kilometers an hour average speed instead of eight. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, so, an exciting development, I think, for consumers probably. Um, uh, you know, the, the, sort of the industry shakeup will be interesting to watch. Uh, did anything else catch your eye about this, James? Uh, not so much about the trainer. I mean, I, I would say that um, – and, and I think people who are listening to this who are really seasoned riders, I mean, you'll have to just sort of, you know, take a second and put yourself into someone else's perspective here. I honestly think Zwift's biggest barrier toward getting this trainer into the hands of more people is going to be um, getting people to overcome their fear of taking their rear wheel off. Yep. <laughs> like that's, that's going to be a big one, honestly. Like, like people don't, like th- it's really easy for people to take off the front wheel because there's just not that much stuff up there. But once you involve like the chain and the derailleur, you can set all this other stuff, whatever, like that is legitimately daunting for a lot of people. And that honestly, I I hope is a barrier that Zwift has anticipated that they need to figure out how to get people to, to get over comfortably. Mm. I hate taking off my rear wheel. <laughs> but at least you know how to do it. And so many people just don't know. I always make Tom's do it for me. Mm. Well, there, see, there see this, is, this is like... This is the bike industry in microcosm, right? <laughs> like this is like the a lot of the, a lot of the problems with the bike industry is this stuff, right? Is the fact that 
James, you and I are sitting here uh, having, again, worked in bike shops and been mechanics and been surrounded by bicycles for most of our lives. And for us, the idea of taking a rear wheel off is probably the least daunting thing I can possibly imagine. I do it many times a week, <laughs> right? But we have to sort of put ourselves in this headspace of the Johnny and Abby crew who are probably, there are more of, of them, more of you two, I wouldn't put that B on the same one as me. I think that's very offensive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but there are a lot more of you than there are of us. And this is what the bike industry, and let's be honest, us, cycling tips, like we don't necessarily always speak to that larger group of people in in the best way. Uh Uh-oh, is your bread done again? My bread's done. Hold on. I'll be right back. Brief pause for bread. Unbelievable. I can't believe he's just like flaunting his bread in front of us like this. James is no longer allowed on the podcast. I'm gonna We're just con- going to have Ronan on whenever there's tech. I'm going to continue my rant while James is gone. Uh, yeah, we just we don't speak to this larger group of people in a way that that they understand what the hell we're talking about. And I think, again, that's that's on us. That's on the rest of the industry. I don't know what the what the solution is, but I like the idea of Zwift at least attempting to make these things easier. Right. Uh, you know, on Nerd Alert. Our, our tech podcast, we are constantly bitching and moaning about all the standards and everything in cycling. And it's not because they really annoy us. It's because they make stuff like putting your bike on a trainer next to impossible for somebody who, <laughs> who does not have the, the background of being a mechanic. Basically, you shouldn't have to be a mechanic to like put your bike on a trainer. It's just, it's just not how it should be. Anyway, James is back with his bread. So my rant is over. Wow. That was good. James, you put that, you put that away. How dare you? (laughs) Kaylee, what I would say is careful what you wish for, because once I'm, once I'm people like me are invited in the club, maybe you can't get rid of us. Do you need more? Do you need more Johnnies in the bike world? (laughs) Yes. Yes. We need more Johnnies in the bike world. We absolutely need more Johnnies in the bike world. Yeah. Johnny, do you ride bikes even? Um, I prefer to, in, in Lycra, ride Uber bikes around Copenhagen and let Ronan take pictures of me. That's my preferred <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. How did you, how did you get here? <laughs> it's a really how good question. How did you question. get this job? <laughs> Just kidding. So we're actually, this, this is a bit of an aside. This is a bit of an aside, but I, I, I liked something that um, our good friends over at the Cycling Podcast have done in previous years, which is they interviewed each other. Uh, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit sort of, I don't want to say egotistical, but it's, you know, it's sort of inward looking, right. But at the same time, a lot of us here at cycling tips have, I think some relatively interesting backstories and how we got here. How, like how, how do, how are we sitting here, you know, at our desks talking to, a stadium full of people that are listening to this podcast. <laughs> How did we get here? I think at some point, maybe it's something that we will, we will borrow from. Maybe it's an off season podcast. Project. Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm thinking is like, maybe once the season wraps up, you know, like I would love James. I know some of your backstory, but I think that the full backstory would be fascinating. Likewise, Johnny, how did you get here? I, I mean, I hired you, so I know the end bit. But if we start asking questions, really... it will all unravel. <laughs> I was going to say if we if we let the cat out of the bag on how mediocre we all are and how completely unqualified we are for our jobs, are we just yeah. going to lose our audience? <laughs> yeah, Kaylee, I, come I, on. I genuinely think it'd be the opposite, though. Uh, mm. You know, like we we all we all got here for a reason. We all found our way, and uh, I think it'd just be an interesting series to just sort of talk to each other. Uh, I, I guess I just I really enjoyed the episodes of the cycling podcast where they did that. Uh, you know, like getting getting Richard's backstory and Lionel's backstory and Daniel Freeve's backstory. And uh, so yeah, anyway, maybe before we decide whether to do that or not, listeners out there, tell us if you would be interested in any way in that. Uh, if it's a no, we won't be insulted. <laughs> but if it's a yes, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll do that in the offseason. Hmm. James, you had a couple what? more things to chat about in today's Nerd Nugget. In particular, I did. I did. some Instagram so stuff. Speaking speaking of Zwift, um, as much as I am really happy that they're trying to lower the barrier toward people, I guess, riding a bike, whether indoors or out, um, th- another thing that they've done recently is another perfect example of how 
the bike industry in general is still still has a tendency to be awfully kind of myopic um, because I noticed on social media, a lot of people were talking about this Instagram ad that they had pushed out. And uh, it says in quotes, uh, quote, my bike looks amazing with fenders, unquote. Said no one ever. This was an official ad that Zwift put out on Instagram, um, which personally fenders I feel- Fenders are awesome. Fenders are great. Like, 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 okay, so so someone at Zwift apparently thinks fenders look lame. Uh, what I think is really stupid is having a giant stripe up your back and having your feet be totally <laughs> soaked if you're riding in the rain and you don't have fenders because fenders are super purposeful. And if you're riding in the rain, fenders are amazing. Have you have you seen my wife's uh, custom painted mosaic with the custom painted fenders? And it's fantastic. It looks cooler like, with fenders than without. It it does, and I I tested a bike not too long ago that that Pursuit Cycles uh, that Carl Strong is doing. He's, he's a longtime custom titanium builder, and he he supplied a, a test bike to me for a while that had these custom painted to match fenders, and it looked amazing. It's so much better with those fenders without. So Zwift, whoever came up with this ad, shame on you. Fired. Go away. <laughs> like we 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 do not need that sort of attitude anywhere here. Like we have a hard enough time keeping people on bikes and getting more people on bikes and having non-cyclists have any sort of respect for us whatsoever. Like we don't need this sort of infighting. Like it's just, it's just dumb. I, I and, mean, and yes, fenders are awesome. Like you can see where they were going with it, right? Like they were, I, I, where they were going with it was like, don't ride outside in the rain, ride inside on Swift. But I mean, maybe you could just say getting really wet is <laughs> isn't fun. Like I, I don't, the fender thing, it, the specific fender thing, I think, is what is what ticked us off, James. If, if that's what they're going for, then you know there certainly were other ways of doing that that don't involve a heavy dose of elitism. Yeah. Um, so that that just needs to go away. And speaking speaking of that sort of thing, uh, to kind of like come at this from the other side, a lot of people listening to the podcast may also be familiar with a website called Path Less Pedaled. Um, Russ over there, I feel like does a great job of, uh, he, he's, he's a sort of like a self-proclaimed champion of non-competitive cycling. He does a lot of, um, just sort of like bike packing and just sort of like bike exploring, just having a lot of fun on a bike. Um, like his, his, his sort of moniker is like party pace. Right. And I have a lot of respect for, for what he does. I think he does a great job over there. If you haven't checked out Pathless Pedaled, I think it's very much worth checking out. Um, but the other day he posted on Twitter, um, he said, quote, an unpopular take. Electric shifting is the Keurig of bike components. Expensive Rube, Girl, expensive Rube Goldberg to move something a few millimeters that is being sold as something essential. Now, I, I get what he is trying to go for here. And I, I definitely don't like how so many things in cycling, especially road cycling, are going up astronomically in price. And this, the sport in general is becoming increasingly out of reach for people who don't have monstrous budgets and that sort of thing. But that said, I also don't agree with the idea that you need to necessarily poo-poo on something that is expensive and nice just because it's expensive and nice. I think the the idea that's being sold as essential, I don't think is necessarily valid. I don't really, I, I haven't really, I mean, I certainly haven't said it's like something that you absolutely have to have. Um, like I don't necessarily have it on my personal bike either. Um Kaylee, I don't think you do either. Actually, now that I think about uh, it, no, not none of I mean, my no, no bike that I have purchased has, yeah, has electronic shifting. So, uh, but again, like coming at it from the other direction, like I said, like just because you don't agree with something doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. I think for a lot of people who use electronic shifting, and I, again, I don't own electronic shifting necessarily, but I think it is amazing. Is it essential? No, but it is it a, is it a great alternative? Is am I glad that it exists? Yes. And should we be making fun of it? No. I feel we like, should only poo-poo on the tiger in the zoo. Yes. No? Uh, <laughs> you both have daughters. How do you not know the reference? What? Nope. What are you talking about? Madeline. Oh. The book. Now we Don't have never read that book to her. At the moment, we're reading uh, uh, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, <laughs> What Do You See? I see a red bird looking at me. Red bird, red bird, what do you see? I see a blue horse looking at me. <laughs> That's where we are at the moment <laughs> in our literary journey. Uh, I, I think I think the, the the major point here, James, is that with both of these things, uh, 
both the, the 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 tweet and Swift's ad is what we are sort of requesting here is that rather than make statements or make advertisements or make your marketing around like what you are not, which is fundamentally exclusionary, talk more perhaps about what you are. Like, I think that's, that's my, that's my primary issue with like the Zwift ad is, is, is rather than saying, rather than just talking about the benefits of, of riding inside and, and, and whatever else, it, it's sort of like the, don't be the person with fenders, right? It's a, it's a positive versus a, ne- a negative thing. And I think that's, that's kind of our fundamental issue because anytime you go with the negative version and you say, you know, be this by not being that, then the people that are that are are not going to really appreciate that which well, in this case yeah. it includes us with fenders on our bikes well <laughs> I, I think i think by almost by definition most cycling media outlets that are out there and most bicycle brands like like a lot of companies specialize in something or another in relation to cycling um like yeah i'm not afraid to to say that cycling tips now we we basically have very clearly become sort of like a higher end drop bar primarily road racing and gravel uh gravel media outlet like we really just don't do flop bar stuff at all anymore because we because we're partnered with pink bike so like why would we um but i don't make fun of mountain bikes i don't make fun of people on commuters like like we are technically well i think a lot of us are all of those forms of cyclists and i don't get the idea that just because you don't agree or you don't fit into this little mold of you know what we necessarily cover that you are somehow less than i think it's it's bullshit it's stupid yeah it's the punch up rule. Like if you're going to punch around, if you're going to swing your arms around, just you got to punch up <laughs> because, and even maybe just, maybe just don't punch, but if you have to punch, punch up, I, th- I think it's really, is really what yeah. it comes so, down to. Per- perfect example of this. So Abby, you were a pro road racer for a long time and I want to hear about the bike that you were most excited to get in your near future. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Um, as you have probably picked up, I have a young daughter and, uh, she will be starting daycare in a couple months. And I am just like, so excited that we got an e-bike for me to be able to take her to daycare, which is like seven kilometers away, all downhill there. So it's all uphill back. Um, and it's kind of like, that's a long, that's a short drive. It's like 10 minute drive. Um, but it's too long to be able to take her on a normal bike. Uh, it would take me an hour to get home in my current state. (laughs) Not actually, but probably. Um, so it wouldn't like, it just doesn't make any sense, but I don't, I don't want to sit in a car, uh, for 10 minutes to take her to, to daycare or 20, 30 minutes. If like you round, if you lump them together. So we got an e-bike for me to be able to take her to daycare or like run into town for a coffee or get some, a backpack of groceries or something because driving is not my favorite thing in the world. And what I'm most excited for is that she'll get to experience riding a bike with me. Like I am so excited to put her in her little seat in front of me and like be able to ride with her and have her be able to feel the fresh air on her face. And like, yeah, I, the environmental aspect is, is like one thing, um, of not driving a car and, and also just not like being on the roads in a car. But I think, yeah, what I'm most excited for is just like sharing, sharing that time with her when I take her to school. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, great. It's, it, it's fantastic. Like Kaylee, you and I both own urban arrows and I've had other cargo bikes in the past and had the kid, uh, I've had her behind me before. And I would say having her in front and just seeing her reaction to be able to see the world like that and being able to interact with her so directly and at just kind of like a slower take in the world kind of pace, um, I, I I never would have gotten that in a car. And you know, she certainly prefers to be in what like she calls it the bucket bike. She like would greatly like like always always prefer to be in the bucket bike than than in the car, no matter where we're going. And it's it's fantastic. I would, wouldn't have traded it for anything. Are are you are you not concerned though, Abby and James, about the jerkitude and tweeness? What? <laughs> I didn't even read the article. 
Like, <laughs> oh right, the Atlantic. I, I was just here mm. for the for the tweets because the tweets were great. Uh, anyway, there there was this um, there was this article in the Atlantic, which is a magazine. Uh, what that usually does quite good stuff. Like, uh, generally, I like the Atlantic. Uh, but it was a terrible article. I subscribed article. to the Atlantic. I love yeah, it. It was it was awful. It was just like <laughs> the worst take on e-bikes from a guy who clearly doesn't like just doesn't like them. And his major one of his major concerns was the the jerkitude and tweeness <laughs> of riding an e-bike. And I I hated that article. I I hated it with every fiber of my being. Uh, in particular because yeah, I, I'm I'm. I mean, we're what about a year ahead of you, Abby, in terms of our of our uh, child journey, <laughs> and <laughs> and like riding my kid to her grandparents every single morning is like one of my favorite things that I do all day. Uh, best thing ever. It's the best thing ever, and and the the idea that this mode of transport, which keeps me out of a car, and also you know, like same issue as you, Abby allows me to go do this quickly in the morning, come back. I don't need to shower at the end. Like I, you know, it's, it's just quick and easy. It's like, I'm, I'm essentially as tired at the end of it as if I had driven, uh, the ability to do that while also just being outside and, and getting my kid where, where she needs to go is, is fantastic. I think everybody should just tell the Atlantic exactly what they think of that story. If you haven't seen it yet, I don't even remember what it's called. But it's, you know, you could Google I'm going to go sure. ahead and express my thoughts right now. So yeah. <laughs> Ian Bogast, I don't really know how to say your name, Bogast, whatever. Ian Bogast at the Atlantic. I, you may be a lovely person aside from this, but in terms of how you've framed this whole e-bike thing, you can go pound sand. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It's not that we don't like you. It's that we don't like your opinions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think... Abby, what kind of e-bike are you getting? Um, I'm getting a Trek Verge. Ooh. Well, of course. Um, Verb. With the due to your friendship. With the yes. Yeah. Uh, Verb, my best I think, friend right? is, it Trek is Verb? helping. Verve, sorry, Trek Trek Verve. Um, with the low step through because mm. I love a dress. Oh yeah. Um and and it's it's like a. Um, I think it's kind of like a combo bike. Like it's not like a commuter bike, not a road bike, obviously, but it's still pretty lightweight, um, because of the seven kilometer climb back home. Um, it's, yeah, it's still pretty like light and it just seems like a really good middle ground that I'm going to be able to do a lot of things on. Hopefully. Well, Abby, I'm very excited for you to get that thing. Cause I think e-bikes are great. Oh, I'm so excited. How are you putting the child on it? Um, I'm going to use one of the Thule, uh little like bucket seats that there's like the one that goes in front and there's the one behind. Um, and I think I'm going to get the one in front when she's, well, we're not going to obviously be able to use it uh, until the spring when she will be a lot bigger. Um, but by then, yeah, she'll have the one in front. And I think at some point we'll get the one behind as well because um that one's a little bit more, a little more freedom for her. Cause if she's in front of me, she's, she's blocked by, by me, which I want when she's little, but like, I also want her to be able to really like, uh, look around on the back. Yeah. So we should do a roundup of ways to carry your child on a bicycle. <laughs> Ideally safely. Say, well, yeah, you know, I wish I could get, <laughs> I had, my parents had a burly for my sister and I, when we were uh. little, like the the or the yellow and red one, like the classic. And I wish I could have one of those for her because I just have great memories of hanging out in the back of that thing. Um, not not great memories. My dad rolled it twice because he was in a hurry to get places. Uh, great day when he when we showed up to summer school and my sister and I were like covered in blood and dirt and my dad just dropped us there. <laughs> uh, when we got older, my brother and I used to ride around attempting to flip each other in the burlies. That was always fun. Yeah, well, yeah. we are girls, so we didn't know that. I shouldn't say that, but because um, girls you can, can do whatever they want. I mean, they still sell those. You can get, you can get one from we Thule, actually. We, we have the Thule one uh, and we have the ski attachment and you can ski with your kid, too. Yeah, I I asked Tom's if we could do that, and it, as it turns out, there is like no Nordic skiing in Andorra because mm. it's either up or down. So right. no one wants to s Nordic ski there. 
There's like one little patch of uh, Nordic skiing that's about an hour away from where we live. Sad. Sad. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, I think that's it from us today. We've, we've been all over the place in today's episode, uh, which I think make <laughs> the best episodes when we just sort of follow our hearts. I don't know. <laughs> it was very wholesome there. at the end. This guy got very wholesome. Uh, I liked it. Uh, you know, yeah, I enjoyed it. All right. That's it from us today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Cycling Tips Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.